You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. All right, all right. That's a little Matthew McConaughey-ish. I just realized that. All right, all right, all right. Well, can we give the worship team a round of applause? I, uh, man. So blessed. You probably don't even realize how blessed you are to have such an incredible worship team that, that leads us into the presence and gets our hearts ready. Anybody else thankful that you have someone that's ready to get your heart ready? Anybody ever walked into church on a Sunday or, and like, I'm not ready to worship. You just barely made it. And you're glad that the worship team did what they did because by the end of the worship, you're like, Lord, I'll give my life to you. <laughs> Anyway, so thankful for our worship team, Bob. Anyway, well, we're going to jump right into it. I, have, I feel like I have a ton of stuff to cover. Uh, important message for me today. I just feel like the Lord several weeks ago gave me a vision of something. I had a, what I believed to be a righteous frustration uh, concerning some things in our church, some things I wanted to see, and I was, I was pushing this before the Lord. I can't even say I was holding it before the Lord. I was like, hey, Lord, do something about this. And when I, when I brought this to him, he actually uh, gave me a vision that I think is uh, very, very important for us. Uh, but I'm going to kind of unpack it in a unique way. Today is, is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, I just got back from a week in Montana with a group of pastors where I saw some things happen that I haven't seen. Well, some I've never seen happen. And, and I just believe that the Lord is prime, was priming the pump. Uh, for a move of God, a fresh move of God. Uh, Pentecost is, is 50 days after Easter. Pentecost symbolizes when the Holy Spirit came and fell on the disciples, uh, the apostles in the upper room. Uh, and I'm just going to start out by saying, do it again, Lord. Amen. Do it again. And uh, whatever that looks like, do it again. And so I'm going to do the best I can to prime the pump and make room for the Holy Spirit to do it again. All right. Uh, if you got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. Not that hard to figure out. Uh, Acts chapter 2. I just want to read a couple of things there. Like I said, we're talking about uh, Acts chapter 2 is the account of the Holy Spirit coming and falling on the disciples. Jesus had told the disciples, don't leave. Some of these scriptures we're going to circle back to at the end, but just for some context to get started. Uh, Jesus had told the disciples, don't leave. He, he, when he, after he had been risen from the dead, he was visiting different people and different disciples at different times. And right before he ascended, he said, don't leave. Just a reminder, don't leave until you get the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the Holy Spirit comes, falls on them, uh, tongues breaks out. There's, the Bible says it came like a rushing mighty, the sound of a rushing mighty wind came into the room where they were at and they began to speak in tongues. And then of course people around started hearing what was going on, thought that they were drunk. Peter ends up standing up and saying, no, it's way too early for us to be drunk. Now the party we're gonna have later tonight, you never know, but um, that was my part. I added that, that was sacrilegious. <laughs> Um, but no, he said, no, we're not drunk too early in the morning for that. This is the Holy Spirit. And Peter preaches the first ever message by the power of the Holy Spirit to, uh, under the new covenant of Jesus. So it's a very influential message, very important message. And, and 3,000 people, after that very first message, 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord. They became believers. And I want to read that in Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And it says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfast in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. 
Now, all who believed, I want us to think about that word believed. I'm going to do a little bit of a teaching on that in just a second. All who believed, who are these? These are the ones that gave their life to the Lord, were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. I typically don't do things like this, but I did a, a brief word study on that word uh, believed, all who believed, which is where we get our word believers, and it is actually the Greek word peace uh, tiwo, peace tiwo. Uh, that's about as Greek as I get. Um, but, but I want us to think about that word because he's talking about believers. He's identifying them specifically. Now, fast forward to Mark chapter 16. Again, I'm just laying a foundation for some things I want to talk about. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 says, and these signs shall follow those who believe. Guess what? That word believe there, the exact same word, pistiwo, that was used uh, to describe the 3,000 who gave their life to the Lord. Why is this significant? Because Jesus here in Mark chapter 16 is fixing to prophesy the normal life of believers. He's fixing to prophesy. This is what believers, so he's, he's letting them know, hey, there's going to come a day when you're going to preach a message under the power of the Holy Spirit. People are going to choose to believe this is what their life should look like. If they hear the true gospel and respond in the appropriate way, here are some things that are going to follow. He says, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Who is this they that he's talking about that will do all these incredible things? This they is not people called to ministry, so to speak. This they is not just pastors. This they is not just people that get to stand on stages and hold microphones in, in, in settings like this. This they is anyone who believes. This is what the normal life of a believer is supposed to look like. You have to understand this. This is supposed to be normal. Just because it's not doesn't mean it should be. Or should be, I should say. Just because it's not that way right now, just because when you look around, it's like, well, how come not more of it's happening? We'll get to that later. But the fact is we have to read the scripture and raise the experience to the word, not lower the word to the experience. I don't care if it takes a week, a month, a year, or, to, or unless we're, maybe we're still pressing towards this mark when Jesus comes back. We don't have permission to lower the word to the standard of our life. That's not what the life of a believer looks like. I want to say this. There was this, this concept of laying hands on the sick, speaking in tongues, taking up serpents, drinking deadly things. In other words, going into environments and handling, handling things that maybe the world says are dangerous. No fly territories as far as, as far as the world is concerned. No, he's saying you have permission to go in those places. You're going to be okay and you're going to do miracles. You're going to lay hands on the sick. You're going to see them recover. This is the work of the ministry. Here's the point I want to make. The work of the of the ministry is the responsibility of every single believer. If you are in here today and you consider yourself a believer, which means you have heard the message of Jesus, you have responded and you said, I want to receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, and you receive him into your life, which means you now are righteous. Heaven is your future home. That's not the end. That is the beginning of your assignment. Every single one of you. Every single person in this room. You're like, well, I'm, I'm a little more reserved, so surely that's not my assignment. No, it's your assignment too. Well, I'm not educated. Doesn't matter. 
I don't have any money. That doesn't matter. This is all of our assignment. And then what's, what's interesting about this, let me read this. We know this scripture. We know this scripture. We're talking about, again, what are we talking about? The work of the ministry being the assignment of every single person. Now I want to read this scripture with that in mind. Mark 16, we know this scripture. It says, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they did not believe in those who had seen him after he had risen. So this is after Jesus had died, rose from the dead, was making appearances. And some of the disciples, when, when, when people were coming, said, hey, I saw him. They're like, yeah, right. This is crazy. There's no way. And when Jesus finally shows up to them, he's like, why didn't you believe? Why didn't you believe? I told you before this is what was going to happen. Why are you not believing? So what's he after again? Their belief. And he said to them, who is the them? The ones that are supposed to be believers. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. This is not an unfamiliar scripture to probably every single person in this room. We have heard this scripture. We know this scripture as what? The great commandment, right? The great commandment to go into all the world. We just read that it's the ministry is the responsibility of all who believe. It is our responsibility, and we know this scripture. My question is, are we actually doing this? Are we actually doing this? I, um, you may have been here. This was several weeks ago, but I, this has just been something that was just been rolling around in my spirit and my heart. I have not been satisfied with the number of people who were getting saved in our church services. I was just dissatisfied. We would get to the end of the service. I would do the, I would do the altar call. How many guys, you all know the routine. You can repeat it. If you would, just close your eyes and bow your head. You've all been there, right? And then I, the music starts to play to make it even more spiritual, right? And we say, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, we want you to raise him. So we, we, it's a, it, we know the routine, right? We've been doing the routine. We do, we do this every single service, but almost every single service. We almost never forget it, but this is what we do. And we have been doing, and all I've, I have just not been satisfied with the results. There have been services, time after time, Sunday after Sunday, where one, maybe none, maybe on a big Sunday, two or three, four. Uh, and again, there's the exceptions, but I'm just being really honest with you. There was a string of Sundays where I was just very disappointed. It was one, zero, one. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what in the world? And I even, I remember several Sundays ago now, you may have been in the room, but I even came, I was on this stage and I said, hey, invite, I said this, I said, invite your unsaved friends to church. Anybody remember that? There's a few of y'all in the room. I, re I remember just being, you know, I was where my faith was at this time. I was like, man, just invite your unsaved friends to church. We've got to see more salvations, yada, yada, yada. And so I, I, I said that the next Sunday, again, crickets. <laughs> Salvation time, raise your hand time, crickets, no hands. And I was just like, what the flip? My church doesn't listen, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I leave here, I leave here, and um, I was just like, I just was dissatisfied. I was like, Lord, what is, this is not this doesn't look like this. Peter preached the message and 3,000 got saved. I just preached the message and zero got saved. Something's not adding up. And so I just took this. <laughs> I 
I took this before the Lord with frustration, with faith, wanting to hear. And I said, Lord, what, in, what is this? And I, by the time I pu- pu- pushed this before the Lord, I literally pushed it before him. Like, Come on. And all of a sudden, I just had this vision. And in this vision, I, had, I, was, I was right here, and, and it was a, this, the room was a little darker. I was on this stage. The room was a little darker. And I, and I could tell in the, in, the, in the vision, I had just finished preaching my message. And in my mind, I knew it was time to tell everyone, close your eyes, bow your heads. If you want to receive Jesus, raise your hand. But I didn't. What I said was, I said, all right, it's time to do salvation call. Raise your hand and let me know how many people y'all led to the Lord this week. And people started raising their hands and saying, two, oh, three, four. And all of a sudden, there was just numbers breaking out. And then we all celebrated not what I had done, not the fruit of my message, the fruit of our ministry. And all of a sudden, I just knew in my spirit that the Lord was saying, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it the way you have seen it done. And can I just warn you, if the way you've seen it done does not line up with the way you read it done, then change what you do, because those words are not changing. This is so simple. Let's just be honest. This is so simple. The great, com- the great commandment, I'm sorry, the great commission, I think I said commandment earlier. The great commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We know it. If we're being really honest with ourselves, we just don't do it. Somehow, uh, we have drifted into this Western American culture where we genuinely believe, and it's not, I'm not saying this is coming from a wrong heart, so please hear me. I, I just want us to be the church that he wants, not the church we've become. But we've drifted over into this thing where we think that the church is the place where people come to get saved. The church, is, the church of the Bible was not the, supposed to be the place. Peter preached a message, 3,000 people got saved. Then they formed the church. Then you start to see what the church was supposed to look like. The church is not supposed to be a place where people come and get saved. The church is supposed to be a place where believers come get, re- come get revived and recharged to go win the lost. We're just doing it wrong. And I, here's what I love about the Lord. He's so merciful. I've been doing this for years. If you would, just close your eyes and bow your head. This is what I'm supposed to do, you know. And there's even, I went to a church conference one time, and they were even making fun of some of it because have y'all ever, y'all know what we do, right? Because everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We know y'all are peeking, but we know that that's what we say. We know you're peeking. And then what, and then what do we say as preachers? What do we say as preachers to let everyone know who's peeking or not actually peeking? We let them know that this is working. We go, I see that hand. I see that hand. And I went to this church conference one time and had a pen that you could, it was all these weird, funny Christian sayings. And one of them was, a, one of them said, I see that hand. <laughs> the Lord is so faithful. He's so merciful. He's, he's working with us. He's working with our strategy of, I see that hand. People have been getting saved. How many of you guys in here, raise your hand if you responded to an altar call, just like I just described, where the pastor told you to close your eyes, bow your head, you raised your hand, then when you raised it, he said, I see that hand, and you knew at that moment you were there. Raise your hand if you had responded to that. Look, a lot of the people in the room, this is how we got there. 
So it's not like the Lord hasn't been working. But don't, confu- don't confuse fruit with alignment to Scripture because that's what the mercy of God will do. He will work even when we don't get it right. So our job is to say, okay, Lord, where are you taking us? Where are you leading us? What did you have in mind? I never want to just fall into this, oh, this is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we do. A friend of mine, um, Shane Mandel, he is the, um, he's the head of uh, alumni for Bethel School of Supernatural Ministries after they graduate BSSM. Uh, Shane is the uh, head of all the alumni. And he was here with us a couple months ago. And he came to me and said, hey, I have a word for you. He said, "Um, the Lord's going to start doing things different when you move to Lubbock. There's going to be a new marker for your ministry. Your ministry's not going to grow by transfer growth. It's going to grow by salvations. And now, just to be clear, I'm not against transfer growth. Many of you in here, you were going to another church. You felt a shift in seasons or whatever. You know, we have a lot of reasons why. But you're here because maybe this church wasn't the right one and you you transferred to another church. And a lot of times that happens with new churches. A new church shows up and it's the shiny new toy. And so people are not satisfied with the church that they're at. And so they they transfer over the other one. And I I don't want to get into all that because I'll probably say something I shouldn't. But... um, that's okay, but the church is supposed to grow through salvations, not Christian relocation. Amen. <laughs> Let me read you one more scripture, and then we're going to kind of tear off into some things. James chapter 1, verse 21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself for if anyone is a hearer of the word is not a doer he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror for he observes himself he goes away and he immediately forgets what kind of man he was here's what he's saying when we hear the word and don't do anything it literally has no long-term impact in our lives no long-term impact we it's like we forget oh i didn't even know that's who i was something happens to your person when you do what you hear But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I do not believe in a covenant of works, but I do believe the Bible. And when the Bible says, when I hear the word and do it, that's not me engaging in an old covenant works religion. No, that's me doing the word. And the word tells me when I do the word, I get blessed. Amen? Some of you are not, you're hearing a lot, doing a little, and you're wondering why you're not blessed a lot and only blessed a little. (laughs) This is such a fun message to preach. Jesus, help it. All right, so I'm going to power through because there's definitely something I want to get to here. Uh, I'm going to give you some practical things. I'm going to start with practical. Uh, I'm going to give you seven practical steps to reaching loss. Anybody a practical kind of guy? You just, give me something practical. That's what, for the zero people that raise their hand, we're going to, we're going (laughs) to. I'm trying here, folks. <laughs> Seven practical steps for reaching the lost. Number one, you actually have to look for the lost. How many times do we go through our day and not one time did it cross our mind, I wonder if that person knows Jesus? Sometimes we're not finding lost because we're not looking. 
We're so busy with our lives. We're so busy with different things. And let me just say this too. I think we're in a season where um, it's very normal. This season, is, this, this season has been so interesting. One of the things that I've learned is when you're overwhelmed with your personal life and you're trying to take care of you, uh, you because of COVID or because of the oil and gas prices going down, you're just trying to scratch and claw to make ends meet and keep things going. Inadvertently, you start looking at you a lot. You start looking at you a lot. You start looking at your business a lot. You start looking at your family a lot because in this season where you had to do virtual learning, you're like, oh my gosh, my kids are in my house way too much. And you start thanking God for the school systems all over again. But what, here's what happens. All of your margin for others gets consumed on you. It's normal. It's okay. We have seasons like this and it's normal. But I think every now and then we need something that shakes us out of this and says, hey, stop looking at you so much. You got to stop looking at you so much. Oftentimes, the reason we don't see lost, pe lost people is because we don't have enough margin in our life to look for somebody, look at someone or for someone other than ourselves. So I just encourage you to start training yourself to look for lost people. Look for opportunities to sow the love of God into someone's life. I remember years ago, the Lord started doing this with me with uh, eye contact with convenience store clerks. You know, we can be so busy, I'm just, I'm busy, da 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 and we engage with another human and don't even have the decency to look them in the eyes. And the Lord, I mean, I'm texting, this is what the Lord is convicting me of, I'm, I go in there to get my gas and I'm, I'm too busy to talk to the human that's talking back to me, so I'm texting and I'm, I'm putting my credit card, and da, 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 thanks, 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 thanks. And it's like, wow, how much love did I just show that person? Simple stuff. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to show you what you need to do, but it, it could be something as simple as like, hey, start engaging people with eye contact. Treat them like a human. Extend the love of God through face to face. I, I'm telling you, I've seen, this, I've seen this break people. There was one lady in particular that I'm thinking about. I, I, just, I just had such a heart for her. She was an, she was an older uh, black woman, and I just, man, I just freaking loved her for some reason. I just, I would get around her, and I, I would pass the same convenience store over and over and over again, and I looked at her long enough that the Lord spoke to me about her. You know, sometimes if you'll look long enough, the Lord will speak, but if you're not going to give it time, man, the Lord didn't tell me anything about that person. Do you even remember what the name badge said? And the Lord ended up telling me to give her a hundred bucks. And uh, I said, hey, excuse me, can I just, can I do something for you? And I gave her a hundred bucks and she lost it. I mean, she's, she's, she run, oh my young man, can I give you a hug? I was like, well, it wouldn't be okay if you didn't. And I don't even like hugs, but in that moment I did. I'm, I'm going to cruise. Look for the loss. Number two, don't complicate it. How to reach loss. Don't complicate this. Romans 10, chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 5, for Moses writes that the law, actually, that's too much reading. We're going to skip ahead to verse 12. Verse 11, as the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in that respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call upon him. Verse 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, period. Let's don't overcomplicate salvation. You, you don't have to have, a, you don't have to preach someone a sermon. It could be very, it could be a very brief interaction. Hey, man, we hang out all the time. I, I don't think I've ever asked you, are you a believer? Well, what do you mean? Well, have you ever asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Well, I mean, I go to church. Nah, not that. Have you ever asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Well, I don't know. Well, you want to do it right now? I guess. Say, hey, Jesus. Jesus? 
<laughs> be, be my Lord? <laughs> you know, it's that simple. We don't have to work up some feeling or some emotion. What if we actually trusted the Holy Spirit to do his job? What if we actually believe that the Holy Spirit's hovering over hearts right now as we speak and they're more ready than we think they are? They just needed somebody to say something and give them the opportunity. Let's don't overcomplicate this. Number three, don't underestimate yourself. Don't underestimate yourself. You don't need a degree from seminary. You don't have to be a great public speaker. There's a lot of things you don't have to be. You just have to be willing. You just have to be available. I gave Leanne a hard time one time when she was uh, her first time into jail ministry. She was going down to Midland County for the first time. And uh, I, we were just dating at the time. And I, this, was, this was terrible leadership. Uh, I just told her, I said, I said, what, what do you have to offer these ladies at the jail? You have no clue what they've been through. And she said, oh, no, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I got this. I'm ready. I was like, all right, well, let, me help, let me know how that goes. So she goes down to the, the jail ministry. Or she goes down with the group and she gets done. And I, I said, so how'd it go? And she goes, um, I said, it went great. It was incredible all the things that happened. I, she's, I said, well, what did you do? She goes, I just lied to him. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, I just panicked. I said, like, I was sitting there looking at him, and I realized I have never been where they're at. I have no idea what to say. And she said, all of a sudden, I just went, I've been right where you're at. <laughs> I've been right there. But can I just say this? She was there. She was there. She was there. She didn't underestimate herself. She didn't even under, I mean, she had the willingness, the faith, the courage to power through her boyfriend's dumb self and show up. And she didn't underestimate what God could do with someone who maybe didn't have the experience or the knowledge of what someone, no, no, they just want to see people come to know Jesus. They just want to extend the love of Jesus. Don't underestimate yourself. Number four, overcome the fear of man. If we'd be really, I'll probably preach about fear of man every time I preach. I think it's one of the most important things to preach about. And when I say fear of man, here's what I mean. Don't care what other people think more than you care about doing what God says. It's, that, it's just that simple. And can I just, let me just say this because this will really help you. The fear of man will never go away. It will only be overcome. Fear of man, will ne- you, will never, you will not wake up magically one day and go, oh my God, what is this? I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You're not going to pray it away. It, it's not going to happen. The fear of man is never going to simply go away. Fear of man must be overcome. How do you overcome fear of man? You do things that scare you. Learn to identify when you, get it, when you have two voices, the voice of the Holy Spirit compelling you to do something, and then it's hit by this gut butterfly fear, you're not qualified, you're not good enough, what if it doesn't work, what if they don't like it, what if I give a prophetic word and it's wrong, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. In other words, what if man doesn't approve of me? What if someone, as if their opinions, isn't it funny how we will literally let people we've never met control our, control our lives? Be in a restaurant full of people. You have no clue who they are. They don't, you don't know them. They don't know you. Holy Spirit moves and says, hey, go over to that table and say this to them. I don't know. What if they think this? You don't even know them. And you'll never see them again. And that little bit of fear keeps you from potentially sowing a seed into their life that God needed you to sow. 
I'm just encouraging you. There are, there's a, I won't go into it right now. There's a trillion ways to do this. You have to overcome fear of man. Number five, identify your influence. Every single person in this room, you have areas that you will have more influence. You, you're, you'll have uh, workplaces where people respect your skill at work, and for that reason, you have influence in their life. Use that to your advantage. Husbands, men, in your home, start in your home. Goal number one, if, if, you, if, you've not, if you don't have kids yet, or maybe your kids are young, can I just say this to you parents? You have influence in your home. If you can't even lead your own child to the Lord, what makes you think you're going to have the courage to do it anywhere else? Don't, don't get into guilt and shame over this, but can I just encourage you strongly? Don't bring your kids to church so that they'll know Jesus. Bring them to church to confirm the Jesus you've been talking to them about. I'm thankful for children's ministry. I'm more thankful for father's ministry, mama's ministry, that the church comes along and just supports. I think I told you I was going to give you seven. I'm only going to give you six. Last one, embrace covert evangelism. All evangelism is not this interruptive, go and be bold and blah, blah, blah. hey, you're right now, you need to know Jesus. I know a friend of mine the other, the other day was coming back from Florida and he said the Lord told him to stand up before everybody got off the airplane and invite every single person on the airplane before they got off to, 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 to get to know Jesus. That is, that is overt ministry. That is in your face. I got, I got a plane to catch. <laughs> you know, that's overt. Don't underestimate and embrace covert ministry where for seasons you might just sow the love of God, sow kindness, sow goodness, sow things into someone's life and get in. And it might take a month, a year, five years, 10 years of sowing seeds before the opportunity comes to introduce them to Jesus. Don't let, don't let the enemy convince you that this long-term plan you have with your boss that's maybe taking weeks, months, years, and you're still working, you're still looking for angles. That is just as much evangelism as it, that covert getting under the, uh, kind of undercover. That's evangelism too. So you got to think, sometimes it does, it's not all about just getting in someone's face and making them pray a prayer, so to speak. Sometimes it's starting by saying, you know what, I'm just going to sow kingdom. I'm just going to start calling heaven to earth in this world, in their world, in this business. I'm going to slowly but surely win them, maybe because of the success of my life, because of my, what I'm, my assignment until that moment comes five years down the road where it's like, hey, they're asking you, okay, I know you've been here five years, you're going to church all the time. I, I used to go to church, I stopped believing when I was, you know, blah, 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 whatever the story is. And there's that moment that you've been waiting for for five years because you weren't so overt, but you were covert with the love of God. Now, <laughs> this is kind of a funny way to do this, but those are some practical things. But on Pentecost Sunday, I'm here to tell you that the practical is the least important way, the least important tool as it pertains to reaching the lost. Let me read this to you in Acts chapter one, starting in verse four. It says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many, not many days from now. Notice he said, hey, you'll be baptized. It's external. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons for which the Father has put his own authority. In other words, none of your business. 
Verse 8, this is why we are here today. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what's the first thing it says you will use this power for? And you will be witnesses to me. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and into the earth. Can I just say this to you? The most important tool to reaching the loss is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's not complicated. In Acts chapter 19, uh, there's an interaction where some disciples had come to a group that, that were saved and they said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you've been saved? Now, if you got all of the Holy Spirit you were supposed to get when you got saved, then why would they say, have you received the Holy Spirit since you've been saved? Why would it say that? Because it's two things. When you are born again, God cleanses your spirit on the inside to make a, uh, an acceptable place for perfect Holy Spirit to come in you. And Holy Spirit in you is step one. But Holy Spirit upon you is step two. And Holy Spirit upon you and embracing and following the leading of the Holy Spirit upon you is what you're, is the single greatest tool to reaching the lost. How do you receive this? How complicated is this, this thing? And Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who run laps around the church with a flag? <laughs> Somebody thought that was funny. <laughs> Got him. How, how complicated is this? How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who do what? Ask. How did you receive Jesus? Asked. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? You ask. It's not that complicated. And I think sometimes as, as ministers, as pastors, we're so caught up with the response. If we, if we do this, and what if, what if people don't fall over? What if people don't shake? What if people don't cry? What if a wind doesn't come through? And what if fire doesn't light up? In the, what, if, what if there's not some big spectacle? What if it's not my business how the Holy Spirit shows up? What if my business is just to create a place for Him to show up? I think we just get too caught up with stuff that's like, remember when Jesus was telling the disciples this? He's like, oh, is this how you're gonna restore the kingdom? He's like, what are you even asking me about? That's none of your business. We sometimes get concerned with things that, no, that's, you're missing the point. Here is the point. If there is more of God available, why would you not want it? And if all you have to do is ask, what is your excuse? Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.